guys are settling down, I can tell that like there's a whole heap of catching up because we got a few visitors today, some old faces. Good to see you. And I don't think I've seen everybody as yet because I know there's quite a number of you. Praise God, man. Welcome. It's nice to catch up. Um, and thank you for, for visiting with us today. We are in the middle of a series, like literally, in the middle of a series in the book of James. And our series is called Bonafide Faith, or Bonafide Faith, or Bonafide Faith, however you want to pronounce it, but kind of keeping it to our um, London 21st century colloquialism. We say bonafide, isn't it? And it actually means the same thing. Now, <clears throat> we've been spending a few weeks, so as I look back at the podcast, we've talked about bona fide faith and the fact that it's tested. We've said bona fide faith is steadfast. We've said bona fide faith is obedient. Bona fide faith loves equally, and bona fide faith works. Today we're looking at chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. And we're saying that bona fide faith, or hopefully we're going to see that the text is saying that bona fide faith transforms our speech. So if you turn to James chapter 3, I'm going to read that and hopefully along with you in a moment. Um, but first of all, I'd like to start off with two questions and a statement. And um, the first question is, <clears throat> could it be that many Christians speak out of turn? Could it be that many Christians speak out of turn? And the second question is, could it be... <coughs> I got a bit nervous as I get ready to say this one. <laughs> could it be that many preachers speak out of turn? <laughs> um, no question, you know. Um, on both of them, I'd like to argue. Cause, um, <sighs> could I suggest that we all suffer from foot and mouth disease? We tend to open our mouth and put our foot in it. And um, J. Sidlow Baxter says this. I think this was really poignant. He says, he says, one of the first things that happens when a person is filled with the Spirit is not that they begin to speak with other tongues, but that they learn to hold the one that they already have. Are you in James chapter 3? All right, let's read from verse 1 to 12. Reading from the ESV. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I wonder if you could just turn me up a little bit more, Emmanuel, please, bro. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at, look at the ships also. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, 
staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a, a salt pond yield fresh water. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father, thank you that your word is a light to our feet and it's a lamp to our path without it Lord we're feeling around in the darkness and Lord as difficult as it is as challenging as it is as painful as it is to hear these words we thank you because they are the words of life and Father may our lives literally be touched and deeply affected um, through your word today we pray, Lord, for your glory and in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so today our topic is bona fide faith that transforms our speech. James throughout this book is focusing in on how we ought to live the Christian life, not just talk about it but actually walk the walk as opposed to just talking the talk. And he, he highlights the importance of our actions as Christians, our verbal communication, the way we listen, our thinking, and particularly our internal attitudes and our motives because everything that you hear, see, and that we do you know what I'm saying? Actually comes from the inside of us, right? And, and not just what we do, but why we do what we do. James uses the word tongue or speech in every chapter of this book, you know. If you like, if it was five pages of one letter, because it is a letter, right? It's something like on every page, he's got these issues that relate to the tongue. Um, in chapter one, Verse 19, he says, know this, my beloved brothers. Whoops. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to, to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. He talks about angry speech. In chapter 1, a little further on, he talks about uncontrolled speech. He says, if anyone thinks he's a... He is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless, uncontrolled speech. Empty speech in chapter 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace. <laughs> it's good to see you. You know what I'm saying? Be warmed and filmed. Filled without giving them the things needed. That particularly for the, bo for the body. What good is that? So that's empty speech, right? Um, we're skipping chapter 3 because we're in chapter 3. Chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters, right? Because this is slanderous. The, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one lawgiver and judge. And it's not me. And it's, it's, it's not you, right? Slanderous speech. A little later in, in James chapter 4, he talks about boastful speech. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town. We're going to set up a business and spend a year there. And boom, we're going to trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Boastful speech. And then two more. Then there's grumbling speech in chapter 5. He says, do not grumble. And we tend to often use our, 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 our lips, our tongues, our mouths to do that. right? Against one another, brothers <laughs> and sisters. So that you may not be judged. And behold, the judge is standing at the door. Grumbling speech. And then the last one, coarse speech. But above all, my brothers... You see how many references there are to brothers and sisters is talking to the people of God, right? Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so, <clears throat> and obviously speech is a big theme in the book, right? Now, another mega theme in this book is wisdom. And that is godly wisdom in contrast to, to worldly wisdom. And here in chapter 3, wisdom as it relates to our speech. Now, I know I need it. How about you? You know what I mean? James has been described as the Proverbs of the New Testament that we've said a few times. And he says in chapter 1, right, when it comes to wisdom, what should we do? Especially if we don't have it. We should ask for it. You know what I'm saying? He says we should ask for it. And it's funny because... Wisdom or asking for wisdom and receiving it is one of the only blank checks in the Bible. It's like one of the things standard you know you can cry out for. And it's one of those things that God will provide for you. He's willing to provide for me. You know what I'm saying? Wisdom. And, and as always, past, present and future, they're going to be those who would deem themselves as wise. And even put themselves forward as... <laughs> As instructors, because they want to share their amazing wisdom, you know what I'm saying, with others. You know what I'm saying? There are those who are going to want to put themselves forward as teachers, as it says in verse 1. But James has a very pointed challenge for us to consider, right? And it's actually a command. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And again, look, verse 1. Who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's like, bro. He's like, don't be, don't be quick to become a preacher. Nah, I suspect I know how you're hearing that. <laughs> but notice I didn't say pastor. 
I said, don't, don't be quick to become a preacher, although it does apply to pastors, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this text could easily say, bro, don't be quick to be a blogger, you know. Don't be quick to put up them posts on Facebook, you know. Now, I forgot to mention, because my head is so in this text, that we went to Jamaica in it last week, me and Jason. We listen, oh my gosh. It was, it was probably one of the most productive trips um, that I've had, I can say that we've had, because we're doing this as a church. Whatever happens in Jamaica is, you know what I'm saying, is fundamentally the work of God through the church, through the Ecclesia. And I just want to let you know that we had an incredible time and, and this ain't the time to talk about that. And why did I mention that? There was a good reason. Face, face, all right. Po now, you know, I'm rubbish when it comes to social media. I admit, I ain't even going to try and back it. Did any of you notice that I tried to put up some posts? <laughs> if you follow me, me and Helen, because we're on the same thing on Facebook, and I'm saying, more time I don't even know how the thing works, I've got to be asking, how you put a post up? Check it. I learned how to, how to link my Instagram to Facebook. So when I put up something on Instagram, which I find very easy to use, it goes up on Facebook. You know what I mean? And so, um, and, 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 and like I think Pastor E mentioned this. You probably noticed that we don't really do a whole heap of the social media thing because one, I just ain't got the time for it. I find that when I go on Facebook, I get like, the clock starts to go like this. I just get sucked in. So I can't do it in that sense. But I just can't keep up with, you know what I'm saying? I just can't keep up, so forgive me, but I don't need to ask for forgiveness because that last trip, if you don't know, you ain't seen it, you can go on Facebook and you can see some of the bits and pieces that we got up to. And maybe at, at another point, myself and Jason will update you nicely. Amen? But you've got to be careful how you put these posts up, yo. Twitter, you know what I'm saying? Even sending a text or an email, you've got to be careful. And um, I was going to say something about rappers, cause, but um, I, I'll probably leave that. Apart from to say, we are communicating, we are speaking, we are preaching and teaching through a multiplicity of different methods. And I'm saying, I just don't want you to feel like, yeah, you can throw tomatoes at the preacher today. Because it seems like James does that in verse 1. I'm trying to say that we're all preachers in one sense or another. Can I get an amen? amen. Oh, all right, amen then. Amen. And <clears throat> the, way, the way the statement stands, if it like the turn of phrase, sounds a bit like many of you are bad preachers, generally speaking, including official pastors and teachers. See, this doesn't sound like the problem of a select few, like a molehill that relates to the minority. This sounds like a mountain that relates to the majority, if I'm reading this right. Now, based on the way that he says it, I don't know if you can see that. And <clears throat> if you're going to be instructing people, teaching people, verse 1, you and I better listen carefully to James chapter 3. 
Now notice, James isn't speaking to the world fundamentally and primarily, right? He's not speaking to the non-Christian community. He's speaking to Christians. He says, bro. <laughs> and this is brothers and sisters in a definitive sense. He's speaking to Christians. He's going to say this actually two more times just in our text. And as we read some of those other verses for at James, he constantly, consistently is pleading on the basis of, you know, I'm saying, look, we're a family. We're the family of God. And, and obviously God is our father. And, you know, let's not misrepresent him. You know what I'm saying? Let's not misrepresent one another even. You know what I'm saying? He's speaking to the body. Now, just in case you're hearing me wrong, <clears throat> you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you should be aiming to be perfect. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 48? He said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Right? <clears throat> Similarly, you don't have to be perfect to be a teacher or an instructor. Because how many of you know, we'd all be sitting there looking at each other in the room now. There wouldn't be anyone standing up to teach or to share, or to speak, or to instruct, right? But <clears throat> if you are, if I am, that is aiming to be perfect, the word doesn't mean, oh my gosh, you never ever make mistakes. The word actually means, it means, it means complete. It means mature, you know what I mean? And, and the point I suspect is, as we get older in the faith, we ought to be getting more mature in the faith. You know what I'm saying? And especially as it relates to the things that we say, right? Because you don't even have to be a Christian to know that. You know what I mean? You say something, you, like, you, you drop a clangor, and you know, it's like once bitten, twice shy. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and so this is a point that really all of us should, you know what I'm saying, like I said earlier, be able to say, yeah, amen, for real. That's true, and it's true about me. How many of you know, many Christians speak out of turn? And preachers speak out of turn. Notice how James includes himself in this heavily scrutinized group. And, and also, uh, this, this group, that they're, they're a far from perfect group. Verse 2 says, for look, for we all stumble. You know what I'm saying? Here we see James... Um, if you like, personify the, the meekness of wisdom um, that he will speak about later on in verse 13. He says, for we all stumble <laughs> and in, thank you Bertram, in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he or she says that is in their speech, that person is a perfect person. And if they're perfect, what are they also able to do if they're perfect? They're also able to bridle their whole body. And I'm saying this. See, if a person can completely control their tongue, and this sounds like a minor. You think, right, but for, for, I never knew that principle. What, if I can just control my tongue, then I can control my whole body. I can control everything in my life. Hey! But the, 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 the problem ain't the principle. <laughs> you know what I mean? The problem is actually applying it. You know what I mean? And if a person can completely control their tongue, they then can completely control their body. But, but that's impossible, I hear you say, Pastor Rob. Impossible, no. Improbable, yes. 
Apart from the perfect man, the Lord Jesus, who never stumbled, who never made a mistake. The man can't fumble. The man's so humble. I never ever seen the man grumble. This world is rotten and fungal, yet he left his heavenly home for this jungle. He lowered himself to that of a refuse collector. The plan was become a garbage man, going through the junk heaps, salvaging peeps and spiritually sweeping the streets. Jesus is the only one who's, per I mean, and, and that illustrates the fact that we are far from perfect and we need that perfect man to help us. And many of us know that that's why we're sitting here today. Because we know we need Jesus, right? He, and the thing is, in contrast to us, he never made a mistake in his actions or in his speech. He, his, his walk always matched his talk. And that because he never made a mistake in his heart. Out from which came his speech. In Luke chapter 6 verse 45... It says, for out of the abundance, you see, it doesn't start with the lips or the mouth or the tongue. I'm not saying. It starts in the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we're going to see that that is where the problem lies for, for us. That is, those of us who stumble, those of us who stumble in many ways, the paradox is, Jesus, the perfect person, he calls imperfect people to follow and represent him. And that's what James is driving at. See, if, you're, if, if you are genuinely following Jesus, you will be changed at your core. If you're a bona fide believer, God is going to, Expose and excavate your issues. He's going to expose and excavate my issues. And how many of you know, some of these issues are very deep-rooted. We say it all the time, Pastor, he said it last week. The heart of the human problem is what? Is the problem with the human heart. <clears throat> and James makes... He makes reference to this next week in verse 14. He talks about bitter jealousy and he talks about selfish ambition. And check it, not just jealousy, you know, bitter jealousy. And not just ambition, but selfish ambition. And sometimes you see ambition on the surface, you're not really sure really what's behind it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that ambition is wrong, but selfish ambition, ooh. And, and, and what is the seat of these particular tendencies? Where do we find these things? Bitter jealousy, selfish. I smile at you. But in my heart, it's a different thing, isn't it? And eventually, it will come out in some way, some weird way or fashion. And this is why this issue of the tongue is so important. Because the tongue is the barometer of the heart. And although we are not perfect and are prone to getting it wrong, we must aim to get it right. Amen. Let's aim to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. That is, we want to be complete. 
We want to be mature. Can you see the pro? Can you hear the, the, the process? And I'm saying, we want to get, I'm not there, I want to get there. And I'm sure I speak for you also. James wants his hearers, this is crazy, you know, <laughs> this book. James wants his hearers to be saved. Not just justified. What does he want for the hearers? When, he, when I say he wants his hearers to be saved. And I'm saying not just justified. Thank you, my sister. Thank you, Harry. He wants his hearers to be sanctified. I heard someone say that sanctification is just a greater understanding of justification. When I understand what God has done for me in Christ and I've been justified, the, byproduct, the natural byproduct now will be a sanctified life. It's not going to be perfect, but you will see a difference. And James wants his hearers to be saved, justified, yes, but not just justified. He wants them sanctified. Okay, so, you're, so you're, you might be saying, well, I'm saved. That is, you're justified, right? Well, how comes I can't see it? Metaphorically speaking, I'm not looking at nobody, right? You say you're saved, well, we want to be able to see that. That is, that you are justified and you are in the process of being sanctified. That is, you're being made complete. You're, 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 you're moving towards a final destination in terms of a finished article, right? Because... We want to be like Jesus. And, you know, God, is, God, God desires for you and me to be more like Jesus than we desire it. I heard someone say that God is more committed to the production of character than he is the provision of comfort. And that's why we go through drama. And I'm saying we've talked about that. And so... <clears throat> Here in chapter 3, particularly the sanctification process that is being highlighted is, well, let's talk about your speech. Let's talk about the things that you talk about. How many of you know it's true that you're not perfect, right? I hope you agree with that. But you should be less sinful. It's true that I'm not perfect. But I should be less sinful. And that identifies genuine sanctification as it takes place. A year down the road. Five years down the road. Ten. Fifteen. Some of us been saved for twenty. Twenty-five. Even thirty years. I think. I'm looking for Mr. Carnegie. He's in Jamaica, isn't it? I don't know if anyone's at 30 years yet, but boy, I'm nearly coming up to 30. No, I'm 26 years, I think, 27. I'm coming up, I'm coming up to 30. And I feel, embarrassed. look at me standing here sheepishly. I'm like, rah. You know what I'm saying? Can you look at my life and say, yeah, I can see that, you know what I mean? There's been change in your life, Robert. And that, that, that process of sanctification has been working in you. I'm looking, uh, you're looking at me, I'm looking at you. How long you've been a Christian? How long you've been walking with Jesus? 
How long has God been working on you and changing you? See, is there really justification? I'm saying, is there really bona fide salvation that is being outworked in sanctification? And here in chapter 3, bona fide faith if we say if we're going to say we got it it transforms our speech now let's look at the examples that James gives with regard to two things one the tongue and its relationship to the body right little tongue big body and our speech as it relates to our actions because often we can say one thing and do another right now here's the first example verse 3 He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. See the illustration? You've got this small metal bit, and I didn't know what it really looked like, but you've got this metal bit in the horse's mouth. Now, apparently, equestrian riders, right, and they're the guys that make the horses, like, dance, right? Apparently, they got two bits in the mouth. You know what I mean? How they, like, they got, like, talk about Pastor E holding just baby Josiah as Courtney walks in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they got tech. How they can make the, and they, you, they do that, you know what I'm saying, by utilizing this bit. Mad control of the horse. And then you've got, the bit is connected to what? The bit's connected to the bridle. The leather straps that hold the bit in the mouth and are attached to the reins, which are held by the rider. And, you know, how many of you know a horse is big? Like, <laughs> like if you ever go down to, you know, we live in London, innit? Probably some of you never even seen a horse in real life, right? <laughs> go down to Buckingham Palace, not Buckingham Palace, Whitehall, right? Uh, change, even, Lew- even right in Lewisham. Yeah. You know, listen, you see, listen. I don't, I, 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 like horses, I'm scared of horses. I mean, not scared like I'll run from like spiders. I don't like spiders, right? Right. I would deal with them, but I don't like them. Spiders, spiders and mosquitoes. I'm going to be like, Lord, what's, what's spiders and mosquitoes about when we get home, right? Um, but horses, I mean, they are massive creatures. And I'm saying, and when they walk past, not just because of what they leave behind, but if, if one of them horses rears up and kicks, like, it's over, isn't it? It's over. And you look at the muscles on their shoulders, and they, they, they're, like a, they're, a, they're a glorious beast. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> a horse is big and it's fast, comparatively speaking, right, compared to a human. And they're very strong. Yet, you can be a child on that horse. Where's, um, where's Faye? He's not here. Okay. Um, yeah. Look, Lolly goes horse riding. Apparently, apparently she's gangster. You know what I'm saying? And she can make that horse clip, clip, clip. Maybe not like the equestrian, but you know what I mean? She can make it canter. She can make it. And look how little she is. But she can control that massive animal. I suspect you're hearing the illustration, right, coming out. <clears throat> little controlling the large. Verse 4 gives us the second example. Um, look at the ships also, and we've got to keep it contextual, right? They never had QE2 back then, but the principle is still the same. Um, 
but they did have big ships, right? Though they are so large, the text says, and are driven by strong winds, right? They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Can you see the similar principle? I mean, you, you don't even have to be strong, you know what I'm saying, to, to make a horse do what you want it to do, go in the direction you want. Make a ship, look at the size of that, you know what I'm saying? And all the captain, or I don't know who the man is called who drives the ship, you know what I mean? Effortless, or, it, or, or sometimes it's that big spinning thing, right? Like, I mean, in terms of the size of the ship, the ship is large, and notice the ship is, is much larger than a horse, right? And it's funny because look at the contrast. It's not as fast as a horse, right? But it's far more powerful, right? And it's just not more powerful. It's not just more, is that good English? Right, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's powerfully affected. Look, the text says it's driven by strong winds. So in one sense, you've got the horse that's strong, but you've got the ship that's stronger, but then you've got the winds that are even stronger still. Yeah, apart from all of these factors, it's guided, it's directed, the text says, by a very, very small rudder that is the ship. I mean, if you know, a ship, it leaves a specific destination and it arrives at a specific destination a port right not not down to the mile you know not even down to the meter i mean you could get that thing down to a millimeter in a sense as it docks in a particular bay in a particular harbor in a particular city or country such is the influence of this very small rudder and james's point such is the influence of this relatively small yet awesomely powerful member of the body the tongue verse 5 so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things and you ever see a little man get into a fight with a big man and the little man's walking around like i'm gonna take this guy you know and you think what what and he's like what you ain't ever heard the story about david and goliath you're like oh okay and the little man takes that takes down the big man and you're like whoa but his boasting wasn't in vain. I don't know. He can do jujitsu and black belt fourth dan. and He can boast about it. The tongue, in similar fashion, can boast and tell you what it's going to do. And your whole body, you know I'm saying, in terms of the principle, will follow suit. If we look at the principle of the rudder and the principle of the bit. Such is the tongue. See, it says, the text says, verse 5 says, See it says, how great a forest is set ablaze and potentially consumed by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. Don't get it twisted. It's a devastating tool of destruction. So It's like, how can this tiny little box of matches? I should have brought one and just shook it for you. Tiny little box, of, and it's not even the whole box, just one match. And especially if it's one, you don't even need the box. You can strike it on the wall and burn down the whole of this building. Downstairs and every, every floor upstairs. Right? 
like a tiny box of matches in the hands of a madman, the hands of an arsonist. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, says the AV, the authorized version. It's a world of unrighteousness. There's a film once, I can't remember the title of the film. Maybe you can remind me. But it's a film, it's kind of like science fiction. And um, the film, there's this little amulet in the film. And they're trying to find this amulet. And you've got these space invaders come to Earth trying to get this little amulet, can't get the amulet, they're hiding it. And Tutu's, the amulet is actually a, what was it called? Anybody here know the film? Is it, is it Men in Black? Yeah, I think it might be Men in Black, you know. And they're looking for this thing, and, it, and it's got some great and grand name. And everyone's like, where is this thing? And Tutu's, you know where the thing is? It's on the little, is it the cat or the dog? On its, on its little, little amulet. But you know what? Like, when you find out inside this little amulet is this, is, is, when you zoom in, it's like um, a universe in this little amulet. You know what I mean? And it's, like, it's crazy, isn't it? Because you can zoom down. You, you lot ever seen... Um, honey, I shrunk the kids. You know what I'm saying? You walk, you walk through your garden in 10 paces. Oh my gosh, zoom down. It's like a whole world down there. A blade of grass is like a tree, right? And an ant is like a, an elephant. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. I heard someone say that they were looking at a picture <clears throat> of what seemed like the moon. And it had ridges and hills and craters. And you can imagine their surprise when they realized that it wasn't the surface of the moon that they were looking at, but actually when, when they zoomed out, it happened to be a magnified picture of a tongue. Without proper appreciation, we have no idea. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Please don't estimate. Please don't underestimate the ungodly nature and potential of the tongue. Listen as verse 6 goes on to further warn us. The tongue is set among our members, staining, defiling, corrupting, polluting the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell like You could set fire to the whole of the rest of your life in a negative sense without appreciation of the power of the tongue. <clears throat> it says it's set on fire by hell. The word used here for hell is, you know there's a few different words in the Bible for hell. Give me some of them. There's One begins with H. Hades. There's... Uh, they, all right, that's the one I want, but I don't want it just yet. There's one that begins with T. Tartarus. Oh my gosh. Have you seen the immortals? Oh, you know what? Read first, Pe read first and second Peter and then watch the immortals. And you've got these individuals in the immortals. They're in this box thing. This is so off piece. It does not relate to the message. <laughs> I mean, but... You've got these things, and they're immortal. And I think they are the offspring of, is it the Nephilim? Or is it, Shabazz is here, could help me. Oh my gosh, he's an expert when it comes to these things. But in this film, um, you know, just, just ignore that. Because like I said, it's not relevant. But it, it's a good film to watch in light of 
um, what the Bible says about the Nephilim, that is um, in the, like, like creatures that are half God and half man. You know what I'm saying? Because like, what the Bible communicates is supported by even Greek mythology. Not that like, like so what? Like, <laughs> like so what? The Bible is true regardless if it's supported. But, but I'm just saying there's a real parallel between the two. You can think of that if you ever get a chance to watch the film. Um, this word, so that word <laughs> in Peter is Tartarus. And it's the same word that they use in Greek mythology. That was my line of thought. But this word here is what? I heard Kian say it. Gehenna. The word here for hell is Gehenna. And Gehenna is <clears throat> a valley dumping area, also known as the Valley of Hinnom. What do you find so funny, Linda? The va the, the, nothing about hell that's, fu I don't, what's, that's funny. I don't know. <laughs> Some next wavelength. Um, <laughs> so so, so this, this, this is just outside the city, <clears throat> outside the city of Jerusalem, and it's called the Valley of Hinnom, where they would throw all of the rubbish. I mean, because you've got to put the rubbish somewhere, right? And they'd throw it all out there, and it was, it was an area that perpetually burned. There was a fire that constantly was stoked, and they used it to burn all of the rubbish and debris. But they'd also throw um, human corpses, you know what I'm especially criminals. And I'm saying they'd take them and throw them into hell, into Gehenna. You know what I mean? And um, Gehenna or hell is also a symbolic name for the final place of punishment for the ungodly. I think, I think the final place of punishment for the ungodly is a very difficult place to fully describe. But one of the ways the Bible describes it is like this perpetual fire that constantly burns, which is where everything that is refused is discarded. And in a sense, it's this place where, where everything that is bad is where metaphorically all of the refuse of the universe finds its end, it's the place that the tongue receives its inspiration to corrupt and eventually completely consume. This is a formidable warning. One not to be underestimated. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird or of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. And has been tamed by mankind. I mean, we're even doing nothing new. This is 2,000 years ago, and they already had this on Smash. You know what I'm saying? The fact that an eagle, you know what I'm saying? An eagle is a very dangerous creature. And I mean, that thing will swoop down and pluck out your eyes. You know what I mean? And rip, up, rip you up with its talons. Got like five meter wingspan. Yeah, a man will just be standing there with a, obviously with a leather glove on his hand. And he can completely control that bird. You know what I mean? To the point where you can come on and stroke it. And Grizzly bears. Like Bear Grylls and all them guys. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I think in terms of our culture, we'll laugh at this. You know what I'm saying? Because we're like, I never ever seen, you know what I'm saying? Uh, um, uh, um, let, me not, let me not even bother. Let me just leave that, right? But we understand that lions, 
tigers, and even bears. I mean, we talked about horses a minute ago. You can go to the circus. I don't even know if they do the circus thing now as much as they used to. Now, you can see that guy in the ring, and he's controlling that like a, like a, a grizzly bear. Um, you've not seen The Revenant. I'm talking about Revenant. I'm talking about all films today. Have you seen The Revenant? You see what that bear done to my man? Yo. I don't spoil it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, because I don't like it when man spoil film for me, you know. So I'm not going to spoil it. Um, even killer whales. Look at the size of a killer whale. And we can, you know what I'm saying? We can tame those creatures. Verse 8. Nope, verse 8 now. How come we can't tame the tongue? Verse 8, James says, no human being can tame the tongue. And you'll be like, but wait a minute, this sounds like a contradiction in terms. You spend all this time talking about we should do this, and you know I'm saying we want to be perfect, and there's no excuse for not growing and developing, and don't be fake and say that you're Christian and you're not. And if, you're not, if you can't, like we're saying all of this, off all, like, to come to verse 8 and then say you're talking about doing something that's impossible. See, verse 8 gives us a real problem. No human being can tame the tongue. We can tame everything that is dangerous, wild and ferocious, but we cannot tame the tongue. (laughs) Listen to Donald Aiken. He says, it is one of the smaller organs of the body, you know. The weight for a male is about 70 grams, for a female 60 grams. I won't make a comment on the fact that ladies' tongues are lighter and they can move faster, but men's tongues are heavier and they can cause a lot of damage, right? However, its potential for evil is so great that God saw fit to imprison it behind a double jailer, the teeth and the lips. (laughs) I'm talking about the human tongue. And even with that double jailer, no human being can tame the tongue. The po- Notice, the power of control has no control. Knowing this, we face what seems like an impossible dilemma. What are we going to do? And think about this from two points of view. There are those that make mistakes, who say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and end up paying severe consequences. <clears throat> and, eat, and the person could do that and still never understand it. Just find themselves in these consequences. Think, How did I get here? Not understanding the principle that we're discussing, right? <clears throat> They've never heard the truth. They've never heard the Bible explained. And they don't realize that the tongue is a restless evil. What a description. Rest, imagine wrestling with something that you can't wrestle. You know what I mean? And it's evil. It's full of dead, full of deadly, deadly poison. It's like the fangs of a venomous snake. Romans 3 talks about the poison of asps, like it's a particular type of snake. It's under the lips of the sinner. You know what I'm saying? Poison. Talking about the person that doesn't know Christ outside of the body of Christ. Poison. Sometimes, you know, with poison, sometimes a drop is all that's needed. Right? To cause just death and devastation. Lives, check it. 
the poison under our lips. Lives destroyed. Friendships ruined. Characters assassinated. Minds poisoned. By gossip, by criticism, by an exaggeration. This is very true of the outside world. And we see it, don't we? We see it clearly reflected. Every time I walk past the TV and it's on and I see EastEnders, everything that I just mentioned, Coronation Street, The Only Way is Essex. Like there's, a, there's a million programs on TV, right? That where we see this, people's words affecting people negatively, horrendously, disastrously. Some outside the church don't know this truth, but that isn't who James is particularly writing to. He's writing to those who have a profession of faith. Verse 9, with it, that is the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father. And, and he's speaking to those who profess to, re to relate to God. Right? This is the only time this phrase is actually used in the Bible, as far as I could tell. This combination of Lord and Father. It's a strange combination, which is a direct reference to God. Right? And, 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 and it's a challenge. If we, ref if we refer to God as Lord, right, it then presupposes that we would be submitted to him as Lord. If we, if we refer to God as Father, that presupposes that we love him. Right? First John 4, and you know the verse is coming, right? First John 4 says, if anyone says, I love God, Lord, I love you, I bless you. And hates his brother. And the thing is, he's, he's, he mentions it, knowing that it's, it's, it's a reality. Otherwise, why mention it? Right? If anyone says, I love God and hates, my gosh, not even does not love his brother, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know what I mean? And I got it there, really. I should, have, I should have held back on that next verse. You know what I'm saying? Because we can also have kind of like some kind of excuse. All right, then, fair enough. I've got to love my brother. You know what I'm saying? Um, because he's talking about loving brothers or sisters. But how many of you know, <laughs> like, we've got to love our enemies. And again, we hear this and we're like, but wait a minute. You're talking about stuff that's impossible, that is, that is, that is improbable, virtually impossible. How am I going to love my enemies? So I'm saying, that's, these, these, are, these, are, these challenges that we face in the text, for me, are actually really helpful because this sets Christianity aside from any other religion. I must love my... All right, fair enough. I've got to love my brothers and sisters. Fair enough. And I, I shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to be telling me that, but boy... I'm not really doing it really the way I should be, but fair enough. But, but love my enemies. Yeah, the Bible's on another level. And so, <clears throat> it's the Lord Jesus speaking, isn't it? And we need to hear this because, <laughs> because more often than not, like we said at the beginning, we're guilty, aren't we? We're guilty. 
We're guilty with our tongues. We bless our Lord and Father. Maybe even this morning in the first half an hour of our service. You know what I'm saying? But with the same tongue, we use it to curse people who are made in the likeness of God, the text says. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He's like, bro. You see it again? It's like my brothers. These things ought not to be so. See, that's the time when we need to hold our tongue. Sometimes we may feel the need to, you heard that expression, hold your tongue. We say it to the kids sometimes, you know what I mean? Hold your tongue. Or you might hear someone say, like, you need to, like, you know, sis, just bite your tongue, yeah? Just bite your tongue in this, in, in, in this instance. And, <clears throat> and at times we may feel the need to pierce our tongue, right? It's become very trendy. I don't understand it, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm a, I obviously, I'm an old man now. Um, you know what I'm saying? Trended to pierce the tongue. But the Bible actually turns that around by saying that it's the tongue that actually does the piercing. Listen to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword. See, and this is, this, this, these are some of the ways that we actually go around committing murder. Bro, he'd be like, sis, looking at you, but I'm not looking at you. <laughs> be like, these things ought not to be so. And as I say, I'm just as convicted as you are. If you think about the Ten Commandments, we're so often guilty of breaking at least three of them just with the tongue. The Ninth Commandment, you must not what? Take it back to children's church. Lying nine. The nine lying down. Ninth commandment, you must not lie, right? You must not bear false witness with the tongue. The fifth commandment, how often do we dishonor our parents by the things that we say? Fifth commandment. The third commandment, taking the name of the Lord in vain. And it's not just saying, Jesus Christ, when you're banging your thumb with a hammer. You know what I mean? It's taking the name and saying, I'm a Christian. It's taking the name of Jesus upon yourself and then misrepresenting him. That's taking his name. Like, why do you take the name? You ain't rep you're not representing him. And I'm not representing him. You know what I mean? The Lord of glory, taking the Lord's name and using it, using it in empty fashion, only to have Jesus say, why do you repeatedly, repeatedly, you know, why do you repeatedly call me Lord? And you don't do the things that I say. Hearing, and this is James, right? Hearing and not what? Doing. It's Matthew 7. Foolishly constructing a house on sand. Unlike the wise man. Remember, we're talking, James is talking about wisdom. This is the Proverbs of the New Testament. You know what I'm saying? Unlike the wise man who builds his house, the wise woman that built her house on the rock. Hearing and doing what Jesus said. James encourages us in this letter not to deceive ourselves, but to be doers as well as hearers. I'm hot. Is it, is it the temperature in here or is it just the... Why? It says, from the same mouth, verse 10, the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Bro, sis, these things ought not to be so. May God help us not to be hypocrites, but bona fide in our faith, genuine in our faith. Verse 11 as we finish. Does a spring pour forth 
from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? The, obviously, the answer is no. Can a fig tree grow? Come on. Is, that's him, not me, you know. He'd be like, can a fig tree, win it? Like, bro. Can a fig tree bear olives? Come on now. No, and the answer is no. You know what I mean? He's drawing you in, and then he's going to sucker punch you. Verse 12. Can a fig tree... Can a grapevine produce figs? The answer is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The answer is no. Never. You see his point? And you see, apart from the power of the Spirit, like, but I'm guilt, Lord. I do. I'm, I'm, I, got, I got fresh water coming out one minute and I got salt water coming out another. I got grapes coming out one minute and I got figs, like completely different coming out the other. Like, like what is this saying? You know what I mean? And then you say, Lord, you know, we can't tame the tongue. Like, I'm, I'm in a dilemma. See, and and, and the, the point is, apart from the power of the Spirit, none of us, and this is, this is the point, isn't it? None of us can, can do this. And this ought to cause, like, care and concern and caution and carefulness as we hear this. We should be like, whoa. Especially when our inconsistency is highlighted and exposed. Verse 9, he said that we bless the creator and we curse his creation. Who's not guilty of that? And this inconsistency, this, this hypocrisy, he says, can you see we desperately need help if we're to respond to this? And the answer to our problem isn't us. Because no human being can tame the tongue. That means the, pro the answer isn't, we can't find the answer in ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. Verse 8, no man can tame the But therein lies the resolve. We're not looking to a man. I'm not looking to Bertram as, you know, as, a, as blessed and a beautiful brother as he is. Not me. I'm not looking to him because he can't help me. My, my wife can't help me ultimately. She can encourage me. You know what I mean? But we're not looking to a, a person. We're not looking to a man. We're looking to a super man. Remember we did it when we did the book of John. The Lord Jesus, will, uh, and we're also looking to our Lord and Father, you know what I'm saying, Father God. Last two verses, Ephesians 1, oh my gosh, be encouraged by this. Ephesians 1, verse 19 and 20 says, I also pray, says Paul, that you will understand. Again, it gives you the impression that we don't, that is, understand. That's why he has to say it. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness not of your power, but of God's power for us who what? Who believe in him. You know, those of us who have bona fide faith. Because you know what? You've got bona fide faith and you're still flopping. <laughs> I'd like to say that of myself. I think I've got, Lord, I, I, I think I've got bona fide faith, but I'm still flopping. You know what I'm saying? But look, God's power for those who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You need time to think about that. And I'm saying, um, Romans 8 says a similar thing. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a believer. And I'm saying, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, 
And we believe that to be true. He will give life in similar fashion to your mortal, physical, slouchy, lazy, don't like good for nothing, don't want to obey you body if it's like mine. <laughs> he will give power. He will give life to your mortal body by this same spirit living within you. Let's just take a moment. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Just to take a moment to consider. Let's consider our plight. Close your eyes and remember, we've been talking about the tongue. We've been talking about speech. But it really starts in the heart, doesn't it? It starts in the heart. So a few things to consider as you've got your eyes closed. Review your speech patterns. And again, it's not just the things that you literally say with your mouth, with your lips, that, that you verbalize. But think about that stuff that you put on social media. Think about the texts that you send. And I'm saying, think about your emails. Think about your Twitter account. Think about these other avenues through which we communicate. speech and then if you come across anything that you think mm, Lord that's a bit dodge then confess that I mean we can we can confess these thoughts together and we can confess our thoughts James was saying a few weeks we can confess our thoughts to one another and he says and we can pray for one another in order that we might be healed because this is a real sickness and we see the devastating effects of, of this, don't we? Yeah, let's just take a minute to confess those thoughts. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for speaking out of turn. Lord, forgive me for, for singing your praises and glorifying you one minute. And then speaking harshly to my wife the next. Or speaking in a very disrespectful manner to my children or my boss says something to me and I smile at them and then when I turn around if I don't go and chat to the rest of my colleagues I murder them in my heart Lord would you forgive us of these things because we know that you're not just dealing with the superficial stuff on the outside the externals Lord you're committed to, to transforming our hearts because bona fide faith sees a transformation of speech. And Father, that's never going to happen, we're realizing now, is if you don't change our hearts. And then, and then the third thing I'd like you to do is, now that we've confessed these things, you can just claim Christ's forgiveness. This is why Jesus died on the cross. The gospel, the good news about Jesus dying on the cross isn't just for our justification, for the fact that you got saved 10, 15, 20 years ago. But the gospel is also for our sanctification. We need to hear the gospel every, not just once a week, even on a Sunday. We need to hear it every day. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves of Jesus dying, suffering on that cross for my past, but 
and my, and, and my future sins, but also my present sins. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.